from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we looked at the pre-engagement examination of Joseph as a case study. We noted that Joseph did not allow the bitterness or self-pity of him being um, sold by his brothers into Egypt to affect him when he became a slave in Potiphar's home. Rather, the Bible records that God was with him and that he prospered. We also saw that Joseph did not succumb to the temptation by Potiphar's wife on him, making sexual advances towards him. We noted that even when he was imprisoned, he was not embittered, but he remained humble and served in the prison. In fact, his service in the prison was so strong that when two officials of Pharaoh were brought into the prison, um, serving punishment from, from Pharaoh, the Bible says that he served them. Not only did he serve them, he was caring and concerned for them so much so that he could see when they were troubled and was able to interpret their dreams, which came to pass. And on the basis of the interpretation of their, of their, of their dreams uh, uh, to them, he, he, he got an inroad uh, into, into seeing Pharaoh. Then we also noted that when Pharaoh finally called him and he came before Pharaoh and told, Pharaoh told him his dream and said, well, I hear that you are able to interpret dreams. Joseph did not fall for that trap, but Joseph rather gave glory to God and said to Pharaoh, God will give him an answer of peace. In other words, saying he's not the one who interprets things. It is God that does it. He was not carried away by the accolades of, oh, we know that you can interpret dreams. No, he pointed the finger squarely at God as the interpreter of dreams. He gave selfless counsel to Pharaoh. Even after he had given interpretation of dreams, he gave selfless counsel to Pharaoh. He was not even thinking of asking for his release. He was just more interested in pleasing and meeting the needs, as it were, of Pharaoh. Of course, we know that as a result, he was elevated. But even after his elevation, Joseph did not let power get into his head. He did not seek vengeance for, for Poti, from Potiphar, uh, vengeance on Potiphar or uh, Potiphar's wife or even his brothers when they finally came to Egypt. And so, as a result of all of this, we made a few key notes about um, Joseph's pre-engagement engagement, uh, examination and how it concerns us. We noted, and I'm, and I'm going to uh, look at the, the, as it relates to Ross, and one of the things that we noted is that it is possible that your own pre-engagement examination may indeed have taken place without your knowing. Because we, we saw that in Joseph's matter, that before Joseph was even chosen by God, that it appeared that God had already allowed, had already tested, so to speak, um, Joseph's brothers. Reuben had gone to sleep with his father's wife, who happened to be the mother of of his half-brothers. What, 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 what an abominable thing to do. Then we also saw that Simeon and Levi were such vengeful people that they would not forgive and that if they had actually gone into Egypt, <laughs> they, would have, they would have killed all their brothers before, uh, during the famine if they had come to plead with them for, for food. Unlike Joseph who overlooked whatever it was they were doing and, and blessed them instead. Reuben, of course, would have been, would have been food 
for Potiphar's wife. Indeed, he would have been the one making the advances rather than Potiphar's wife making the advances. And of course, we saw about Judah also, who slept with his um, his uh, son's wife. Of course, he didn't know that that, that, that was his son's wife. He, he saw her as a prostitute. But what was worse in all of this was the fact that he was so free to drop his, his signet, his signet, his staff of authority, and some other things as a, 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 as, as a, a, a down payment, as it were, pending when he will bring the full payment and then he will retrieve those things from a prostitute he saw on the road, someone he didn't know. So you, 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 you see, sometimes our pre-engagement um, examination actually would have taken place as a test rather than the real exam. God does not permit, will not allow those of us, or those rather, who have not passed his test to go and face a pre-examination, a pre-engagement exam. They will fail woefully. Secondly, we noted that God is a God of plan and purpose, and nothing happens to God's own by chance, by happenstance, or by accident. There's nothing like that. Everything is working towards a plan. And so, that brings us to point number three, that God's plan involves so many people and you are so crucial to that plan that if for any reason you fail in the execution of that plan, you are not only jeopardizing your own soul and yourself, but you're actually putting in jeopardy the souls of so many other people. It was God that called for the famine in the land of Egypt. Don't forget that God had told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, that he was going to call for a famine, but that he will, he will keep his people safe. And the essence of putting Israel in Egypt was so that they would not be influenced by the iniquity of the Canaanites that was getting worse and worse. So it was crucial that Joseph be sent to Egypt to prepare the way for Israel to come into Egypt as free men, not as slaves. See how difficult it was to get them out of Egypt, except by the strong hand of God, and they entered there freely. Imagine if they had sold themselves to Pharaoh the way other nations had sold themselves to Pharaoh because of food. So Joseph's role was crucial. Your role in the work of God is so crucial, so critical, that you cannot afford to fail. And so, number one, you will go through the tests. And when you are ready, you will now face the pre-engagement examination. By the grace of God, you will pass because your, your role is, is, is so crucial that there are many people, thousands, if not millions, that are depending on your passing that exam. By the grace of God, today we shall begin to look at the, 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 the pre-engagement examination of another person whose assignment was so critical that it is still reverberating till today. And thank God he passed. The fourth thing we noted was that when you overcome temptation, as Joseph overcame his own temptation and uh, the test that he went through, the purpose of God becomes clearer and clearer. You are, you are stronger for it and your understanding of the purpose of God becomes clearer and clearer to you. You will now see the reason why God called you through your overcoming temptation and your passing the test. Joseph passed his test. Joseph overcame whatever temptations came his way. And he was stronger for it. It helped him to understand more and more the plan of God. He told his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. For the saving of the souls 
as we see today. And so there, 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 is, there is good in all that you are going to face. But it will become clearer and clearer as you overcome temptation, as you pass the test of God. God will begin to explain things to you, will enable you to persevere and to understand the things that you need to understand. The next thing that we, 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 we noted and that we want to speak to Ross about is that your examination may actually have taken place without even knowing. Sometimes we don't know that we have already been examined. For example, whilst Joseph was facing his own exam and test, his brothers were living big in Canaan. They were living okay while he was a slave, while he was in prison for, for about 13 years of his life. That's, those 13 years, they were feeding fat. They were getting married. They were having children, living big, living well. So we want to note that the fact that you are doing okay now does not mean that you have passed your pre-examination test, exam, uh, your, your pre-engagement examination. It actually could mean that it is because you failed and you have no use. That's why you are, you are going through all of that. And on the other hand, you may actually be suffering right now, going through the challenges of life, facing one storm after the other. Sometimes they come as torrents, all to see if you will be able to withstand and overcome and not be, and not be overcome by those things. And that just might mean that you have passed the test. So let us not look at things through the prism of the world. Let's look at things through the prism of God. God told um, uh, Samuel when he, was, when he sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. And Samuel uh, was going to anoint uh, David's first uh, eldest brother. And God said to him, no, 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 I have rejected this one. You, that God does not look the way men look. He says, men look on the things that are outward. But God looks at the heart and said, I have rejected this one. So let's not let's stop looking at things on this on, on face value. We see a church, we see people milling there, we say, Oh, God is with this fellow. It may not be true. We see another church, we see two or three people just struggling in, and you know, people who are just there coming in, but the man is working, sweating, doing the work of God, and we say, God did not call this one. Be careful. Let's look at things through the prism of the eye of God. Otherwise, we might be making a mistake. And thinking that the person who is going through challenges has failed. While the person who is doing okay, so to, so to so, so, as, as it may seem, in our own eyes, is the one that God has forsaken. It may not, it may not be so. The sixth thing that uh, I want us to note also is that as long as you are living the word of God, as long as the word of God is the basis on which you live your life, you will certainly overcome every temptation and you will surely pass every test that is put before you. Joseph lived like one who believed in God. He lived like one whose trust, his entire being was in God. He did not, for one reason or the other, live contrary to how God would have wanted him to live in Egypt. In fact, when, Pharaoh's, uh, when Potiphar's wife came to tempt him, he told Potiphar's wife, he said, how can I do such a thing like this? And sin against God. God was always before him. So we must always understand that when they ask you to falsify something, ask yourself one question. Is this how God wants me to live? When you are being challenged to do something in your work, in your place of work, even in, it depends wherever it is that you are working, you must ask yourself that question. Is this according to the word of God? If it is not, if they will sack you, let them sack you. Joseph went to prison 
because he refused to fall into temptation. He refused to succumb to the temptation of Potiphar's wife. He went to prison. But God was with him in the prison. So it is not this. It's, it's, many of us use, oh, I don't, want to, I don't want to lose my income. Oh, where will my children, how will my children feed? What school will my children go if I lose my job? You know, I have to do these things because I'm, and it means you don't know who your employer is. Your employer is not the man in the office. Your employer is almighty God who puts you in that place. He put you in that place. You must always, remember we said, we mentioned at one, one of the broadcasts, that you must serve as unto the Lord. Even though you have human bosses, you may have a human general overseer, a human pastor, but your service is unto God. So if they ask you to do something that is contrary to what God has asked you to do, you do what God said you should do. Recall Daniel in, in, um, in, in, in uh, Persia, how Daniel insisted on prayer, even though there was a decree that said he must not pray to anyone except to the king. He rather obeyed God. He was thrown into the lion's den, but God kept him. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were, they were told by Nebuchadnezzar to bow to an adult. These were high officials in the government of Nebuchadnezzar, but they insisted on serving God and on bowing to no idol. They were thrown into fire, but God was with them in the fire. The same will happen for you if you will insist on serving God and living according to the word of God, putting your trust in him, believing indeed in him. There are many of us today who say we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but the truth is we don't believe because we don't live by the word. If we believe, we will live by the word of God. Finally, we noted that even after you have overcome or passed your pre-engagement examination, remember that Satan is not going to sit idly by. He's going to keep coming. He's going to keep coming. It will come in different ways to tempt you. And so we said, we must be sober. We must be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch and pray that he fall not into temptation. It is important, it is crucial that we recognize these things. And so today, we move to what we want to discuss today. Today's broadcast, we want to look at another case study, the pre-engagement examination of Jesus. The pre-engagement examination of Jesus. And one might be wondering, why, why, why do we have to do that? Is it true that Jesus was, went through a pre-engagement examination, the Son of God? Well, the answer is yes. You see, many people erroneously think that the Lord Jesus Christ had it easy. He had an easy ride. But nothing can be further from the truth. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Bible tells us, and I'm, and I'm just going to quote a few portions of it. He said, God did not spare his son. If he did not spare his son, what does that mean? It means whatever it was that he had to go through, he had to go through it. Don't think that if God did not spare his son, that he's going to lower the bar for you. He will not. It is the same bar. The second reason, which also derives from the first, is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth to show us that it is possible to live a sin-free life here on the earth, regardless of temptation. He came to show it to us so that 
in going through what the, what the father asked him to go through, he left us a pattern. He left us a model. He left for us an example of how we are supposed to live our lives and how we can overcome temptation. And so it is very important that we understand that the Lord Jesus Christ did not have a free pass. No, he was never given a free pass. No, 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 no. In Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, the Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was tempted, yet without sin, as we have been tempted. And so he's saying we can, we can live without sin. In verse 16, he then says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What was the Lord's weapon? His weapon was prayer. He prayed. Of course, we know that he used the word. But his weapon was prayer. Besides the word, he prayed. He sought the face of the Father. The Bible tells us in, 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 in Hebrews chapter 5 that he, in, in the days of his earth, let, let me read verse 7, it says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, that though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ did not get an easy pass. You and I are also not going to get an easy pass. We must understand how he overcame. We must understand how it was that he succeeded in this matter of pre-engagement examination. In Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, from verse 5 through to verse 8, the Bible encourages us that the same mind the same disposition, the same nature that was in Christ, let it be in us. Philippians 2 verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. These are the things he did. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a born servant, and coming in the likeness of man. Let this be our own mind. Let this be our own nature. We should have no reputation to defend. He that is down need fear no fall. We should make sure that we come, we see ourselves as born servants. A born servant is one that is bought. When you are purchased as a servant, you are not serving out of obligation. You are serving out of duty. And that was how the Lord Jesus Christ saw himself. He saw himself as a born servant. We must see ourselves as born servants. In verse, um, verse 8, he said, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This was the Son of God. But he had removed him, stripped himself of every reputation, of every glory. He made himself of no reputation. He came as a born servant, one that was bound to his master by duty. Yet he served out of love. And then the Bible says, being found in the form of a man, he humbled himself even further and became obedient. Even when it meant going to the cross. Beloved, 
we have no choice in this matter. Remember, I, I think the Lord said in, in, in Matthew chapter 10 or something, he said, he, uh, uh, Luke, yes, Matthew 10, and then he also made the same remark in Luke chapter 14. He said, except you hate your father, your mother, your brothers, your, your, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, your children, yes, including yourself, your own very life, you cannot be my disciple, he said. He also said that if anybody does not carry his cross and follow him, he cannot be his disciple. And I think I mentioned to us what it means to carry your cross. To carry your cross is you, you are willing to die for the cause of the gospel. These prayers of, oh, I, I pray against the spirit of death. And so, if you are not willing to die for the sake of the gospel, then you cannot be, you won't, you won't pass this test. Let alone the pre-engagement examination. You can't pass the test. Not talk of the pre-engagement examination. He was ready to go to the cross. In fact, the Bible, if you read verse 9, further down of Philippians 2, you see how God now highly exalted him. His exaltation came from the Father. It did not come from man. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, I want to read that because it is crucial that we understand where God is leading us to, where God is leading you and I to. It's not what some preachers have been saying. That is not, that's not what the gospel is. Remember, the global theme is the truth about the gospel. We are looking at what the gospel is about. The gospel, the gospel brings us to the place of service, not just to the place of salvation, but brings us through salvation to sanctification, then to consecration, and then we come to the place of service. And before we can get to the place of service, we go through these tests and these pre-engagement examinations. In Romans chapter 9, verse Chapter 8, rather, verse 29, the Bible says, For whom he that is God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be, that is, the son might be the firstborn among many brethren. God, having chosen us, made up his mind that anybody that is going to come must be conformed to the image of his son. So, Whatever the son we see of the son, we should expect also of those who say they belong to the son or they are part of the son. Indeed, in Malachi chapter 3, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, Malachi 3, verse 1 to 3, the Bible says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He's going to purify with fire. He's going to wash with soap as it were. In verse 3 it says, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. God is not going to accept just anything from anybody. The Lord is going to prepare us because our service to him is an offering. We will become invariably the sons of Levi who are offering service unto the Lord. And before we can get there, we are going to go through the refiner's process the refiner of silver, we are told that the refiner of silver, when he wants to do his refining, he brings the silver, after he has, when, when he gets the silver ingot, he puts it in a crucible and places it over very strong fire in the furnace. And as the impurities are being scooped out, he is waiting until he can see his image, 
in the silver solution that is now there. Once he sees his image, he has gotten sterling. Then he removes the silver. So we are going to go through that refining process until the image of the Son of God is formed. When he begins to see the image, his image in us, then he says, yes, now it's time for this fellow to now go and do his service. We cannot send him for pre-engagement examination. Because the things that the impurities need to be put away. If you read the book of Proverbs, not sure which of the chapters now. The Bible tells us about the, 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 the things that make silver to be impure. These things are fantastic metals that you and I would love. Copper, iron, and some other uh, brass, some other al al alloys. They, but they make silver to be impure. There may be good qualities that men like in you, but they are going to make you to be impure. The Lord is going to come and refine it and purge it so that his image can be in you. So we have to understand these things. God wants us to live a sin-free life in spite of the temptation that we are going through. The third reason why we need to look at uh, the pre-engagement examination of the Lord Jesus Christ is because whatever the Lord went through, we shall certainly go through. Note that, certainly, without question, you will definitely go through whatever the Lord Jesus Christ went through. In John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 18 to 21. John 15, 18 to 21. The Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to his disciples, said this. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake also, because they do not know him who sent me. So he said, you will go through what I'm going through. There is nothing. He says, the master, the, the disciple is not greater than the master. It is sufficient that he be just as his master, but definitely not greater than his master. And whatever the master went through, the disciple will surely go through. So our desire to be loved by the world is contrary to the desire of God. God did not bring us to this place so that we can be, we can be loved by the world. In Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 to 33, verse 24 to 33, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Similar to what he said in John uh, 15, but he, there, there are some other things we've added. He has added here. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, that's what they call the Lord Jesus Christ, the, 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 the God of flies, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the air, preach on the housetops. Don't be afraid. They may kill you. They may attempt to kill you. But whatever the Lord says, I tell you, go and do it. And so for us to be able to qualify for this, we must go through a pre-engagement examination. Whether we are going to be able, because once we fail there, 
we know that it's clear that these guys are not going to be able to do this thing. Now, let me continue to read. Verse um, 28. It says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your, your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. It says those birds that you find hunters being able to pull down, the hunter's rifle, the hunter's bullet cannot touch those birds if God has not ordained them. So you are safe. You are secure. Just don't be afraid of men. Don't be afraid of men's faces. Don't be afraid of the threats of men. Therefore, in verse uh, 32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So we have a, a, a temptation that we are going to face. And it's simple. Are we going to confess the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we going to deny him? There is a difference between professing Christ and confessing Christ. Professing Christ is like just making a proclamation. Confessing Christ goes beyond making that proclamation and indeed standing on what we have professed. So you have people who are professors, but they are not confessing Christ. They are not able to stand and say, indeed, I am a child of God. When they face the challenges of life, they crumble. They go to bits and pieces. These are the people that the Lord says, I will deny because they denied me. So the pre-engagement examination of the Lord Jesus Christ is such a challenge to you and I. Because that is how we are supposed to be. We are supposed to overcome the way he overcame. And so he is the, he is the example, the primary and principal example we are to follow. Paul himself was writing and said, Be ye followers of me as I follow Christ. In other words, if I am not following Christ, cease from following me. Follow, follow Christ. So the basic thing is, let's leave the middleman out of it and let's follow Christ ourselves. So we see that the Lord Jesus Christ was not spared. He had to go through whatever it was that the Father wanted him to go through. In his time, the Lord Jesus went through tests and then he faced the major pre-engagement examination. But first, he went through some tests. So in our broadcast today, we are going to look more at the tests rather than the, engage, the, the pre-engagement examination we will look at when we, when, in, in our next broadcast. But for now, what we are going to be looking at is essentially the tests that he went through. And so for that, we will go to the book, we'll go to the gospel of Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible tells us about the childhood days of the Lord Jesus Christ, how his parents had gone to Jerusalem as was required of them on an annual basis and as was required of all males who were supposed to appear before the Lord at this uh, feast. Now, when they got there after the feast, it was time to return. So they supposed that the 12-year-old Jesus was in the carriage of one of his other relatives as they were going by because they always came in, in, um, in a caravan-like uh, thing and they returned in that same format. It was good for, for them to keep that companionship so that 
they, they are not attacked on the highway and then some things happened to them. So they went together as a bond. Meanwhile, when they were returning, they had assumed that he was in the carriage of one of uh, their, their people. And I'm sure that at some point in time, they must have stopped, you know, to take a break and whatever. So they began to look for him and they discovered that he was not there. And said, so, ah, what happened? They had, they, they, so they said, let us return to Jerusalem. Maybe we left him there. When they got back to Jerusalem, they saw him in the temple. So let me take it from there. That's Luke chapter 2. And um, uh, let me take it from verse, let me take it from verse um, 45. So when they did not find him, that's when his earthly parents did not find him or his surrogate parents did not find him. They returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they searched for him for three days all over Jerusalem. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So he was asking them questions, probing further and giving revelations at the age of 12. So of course they were stunned at, wow, what, what, <laughs> what uh, knowledge this boy has. In verse 45, 48, it says, So when they saw him, that his uh, surrogate's parents saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? At age 12, he, he had the zeal. He had the passion. He was excited. It was time to go. He was raring to go. He was ready to go, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then, of course, they told him, come on, come back. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Let me take you back to verse 40 of Luke chapter 20. Of, of Luke chapter 2 rather. The Bible speaks about him when he was growing up as a child. In verse 40 it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That was what he had and he had zeal. By the time they, they told him to return home and he obeyed them, we find that he increased in wisdom. He increased in stature that he was growing taller and fairer. And then he increased in favor with God and with men. Why? He subjected himself to their authority. This is the first set, these are the first set of tests that we have. There are many believers today who have zeal for God. They have the zeal of, they, they really want to serve. But they are still too young. They need to come for tutelage. They need to sit down under somebody that will teach them. Otherwise, they will run into trouble. The Bible tells us about um, one fellow, I think that's in, in Acts chapter 18 or so, Apollos. Apollos was somebody who was fervent for the Lord. He, he actually wanted to serve the Lord. And the Bible says he was an eloquent man. And, you know, he, he was eloquent in the things of God. Yet, he had some issues. He had zeal, but he did not have teachings. He did not have knowledge. So the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 18 uh, from verse, verse 26, it says, so he, that is Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside 
and explain to him the way of God more accurately. That tells you that even though he had all the zeal, there was inaccuracy in some of the things he was saying. And so he needed to get to a place of tutelage. And it wasn't an apostle who was teaching him. It was Aquila and Priscilla who, although they were not apostles, they knew the word of God. They understood and they brought him aside and they taught him. Thank God Apollos was a humble brother because Apollos became a firebrand for God in that region after he had been taught more excellently. And the Bible says, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. But he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Because he was taught. So zeal is good. But zeal alone will make you food for Satan. So it is important that as much as you have zeal, you also need to have knowledge. You also need to have, I'm not talking of head knowledge now. You need to have the knowledge that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. The knowledge that comes from the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ at 12 years, he may have had those knowledge, but he still would have not had some form of maturity enough to know when not to do certain things. He was still a human being. Let's understand that. So at the age of 12, he would have behaved like any other human being who needed to be under parental authority. And he submitted to that. Submission to authority is crucial. It's a test. We face this test of submission to authority. Be it parental, be it civil, and be it spiritual. You must submit to the authority of your parents. Only where there is a problem, where what they are asking you to do negates what God is asking you to do. Then you stand firm on what God is asking you to do. However, you must not disrespect them. The same goes with government, which is your civil authority. Your local government chairman, your, your governor, your president. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13 that they are ministers of God for you. You the Christian, you the minister, they are minister, they are your ministers, they are your authority. So I hear so many people say we are speaking truth to power, speaking truth to power. What do you mean by that? Except God has given you the authority so to do, otherwise, keep your truth to power to yourself. Be submissive to authority. The Bible is replete with scriptures on those things. Romans chapter 13 is there, first Peter chapter 2 is there that tells us that, that even when your boss is a wicked man. You should serve him. You should submit to him. So submission is absolute. Obedience is what is relative. You, you submit to them. You humble yourself. You respect them. But of course, you will obey God. In obeying God, you don't have to insult them. You don't have to disrespect them. I see so many things on social media being written by pastors, being written by Christians who are insulting Governors insulting the president, insulting the vice president, insulting men and women in authority. You are called to pray for them, and by the way, not to insult them, not to abuse them, not to get into that. We must live like Christians. This is the truth of the matter. So many of us have faced tests, and God knows that many of us may have failed. But the good news of the tests of God is that you can always retake it. And there's always ample opportunity for you to retake it until you pass it and then you can now face your pre-engagement examination. There are many people who think they've passed the test, who, are, who say they are in ministry, who are engaged. I, I, I don't know what they think they are doing. 
But quite frankly, many of them are still facing tests. That's the truth of the matter. When they have passed, that's when they will suddenly realize that what God called them to do is not what they are doing. Because God has a work. The work that, when, when we get into the service proper, you will see that those of us, those rather, who are working out there in the secular, that is your ministry. The church is not where you work. You can be an usher, you can be anything, but that is not the place of work. <laughs> where your place of work is that office where you are, where you have to live like a Christian, where you have to do things to the glory of God. That is the service. It was parental authority that brought Jesus Christ away from the temple in Jerusalem back to, to, to Nazareth. It was also parental authority that moved the Lord Jesus Christ to perform his first miracle. The Bible tells us in John chapter 2 verse 1 to 11, I'm not going to read it, the, the, the miracle of uh, turning water into wine. It was his mother's intervention that when she came and she said, woman, what do I have to do? Leave me alone. My time has not come. And the mother said to the servants around there, said, whatsoever he tells you to do, do it. And as he gave them instructions, the miracle of water turning into wine happened. It was parental authority that also moved for the first miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible records that that was the first of the miracles that he did. Spiritual authority is important also. The, the authority of your of, of, the, of the pastor that is placed over you is crucial. There's a reason why God has given you such a person as your spiritual authority. However, let me note here that the spiritual authority is also a man. And men can make certain statements that are not right. So let me put it this way to you. Whatever your pastor asks you to do, do it. However, make sure that you are also you also have your heart receptive to the word of God. Allow the spirit of God to speak to you in confirmation. But do not hesitate to do what they tell you to do. However, if for any reason you feel that something is wrong here, then seek the face of God. And whatever God tells you to do, do it. So it is important that zeal must be with knowledge. We must be able to be under authority. Otherwise, we will not be given authority. The man who is a good follower is more likely to be a good leader. The man who is not a good follower, even if you put leadership and all the things around him, he's not likely to be a good leader. Now, so we finish with the, the, the youth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we come to Luke chapter 3. In Luke chapter 3, we see another, another uh, test, which is not glaring as a test, but it was a test. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 23, and we shall explain this as we go along. Luke chapter 3, 21 to 23. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the, heaven, the, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove above him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Hael, and so on, Aheli, and so on and so forth. So the Lord Jesus Christ was now 30 years old, and he went to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now, Luke does not give us too much on that uh, transaction of the baptism. So we need to look at Matthew chapter 3, to see some of the details. But let me note at this point in time. That in Israel of, of old. When somebody 
became the, got to the age of 30, it was time for him to enter into service. And speaking of the Levites, once they were 30, they were not able to, they were now right or ripe to enter into full-time service in the temple. Jesus Christ was now about 30 years old, ready for service, and the first place he went to was to the baptism of John. Now, John's baptism was a baptism for sinners. People who had sin in them would come to John and be baptized by John. Now, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ was born without sin. So he was not a sinner. The, the, the elements that would make him to sin was not even there. And we saw how even when he was told by his parents to return home, he returned. So sin was not in him. Yet, he went to that baptism. Let's, let's read the account in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3. Let me read it from verse 13 to the end. That's verse 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee in, to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, John, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now this account of, 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 of Matthew begins to reveal certain things. Some of the details that took place at, at the baptism that Luke did not uh, tell us. There must have been a reason why he did not. But Matthew was written for Jews. And so he needed to explain certain things here. So when the Lord Jesus Christ, for example, went before John, John must have realized or known that there was something about this because we know, for example, that there was an encounter between the mother of, of, of uh, John the Baptist while John the Baptist was in the womb and the mother of Jesus before, just before the conception or around the time of the conception of the Lord Jesus Christ, in which John's mother said to Mary, shall the mother of my Lord come to see me? And the Bible says that the, 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 the baby in Elizabeth's stomach leapt for joy when Mary entered into the place. So as they were growing up, the age gap between them would have just been six months. So as they were growing up, it became clear that this is the Messiah. However, the Lord Jesus Christ refused John's offer that I need to be baptized. He said, no, we must fulfill all righteousness. Permit it to be so. We need to fulfill all righteousness. What does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? You see, some phrases have been taken out of context and used and abused in the world that we have today. In our world today, to, to fulfill all righteousness means to do things for the sake of doing things. Just doing things. That we are, I'm, I'm, I'm just there to fulfill all righteousness. To that statement is more than this ordinary thing that we're talking about. To fulfill all righteousness, it means to do the things that God demands, that God requires. So, to fulfill all righteousness is, let us make sure that we are doing the requirements, the demands of God. So, he was telling John, say, we need to do what God requires of me to be done. 
and of you to do. I need to come to you to be baptized by me. And you need to baptize me. So the question is, because this is a major test. Sometimes we go somewhere and the Lord says, I want you to go and sit down and listen. Then you go there and they say, oh, our father in the Lord has come. Please come and preach. And you are eager to jump on the pulpit. No, we must fulfill all righteousness. Because you don't know why God is asking you to go there and sit down and listen. There's a reason. If you are not sitting down to listen, if you want to speak because they recognize you as a man of God and this, you are going to miss out on something. As it turned out, the events that took place at this baptism were very, very significant, indeed critical in, in, in John's ministry and for the testimony about the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 19. From verse 19, I'll read through to 34. It's a bit lengthy, but bear with me. Now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent from, who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him saying, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. These things were done in uh, Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him. Please note this. I did not know him but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. John is now testifying that the reason why I was baptizing is not just for your sins or anything. No, 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 no. Yes, I'm preparing the way. But there was another reason. It is to identify who the Christ is. In verse 32, it says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Please note, this happened at the baptism, which if, if the Lord Jesus Christ did not insist that John baptized him, John may not have seen it. The fulfillment of all righteousness was to reveal certain things to Israel through John. Now, let's read verse 33. He said, I did not know him. Not that I didn't know him. I knew him as uh, maybe a relative or something. But I did not know him as the Christ. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
and I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God, John the Baptist. Through the fulfilling of the requirements by God, in fulfilling all righteousness, he was now able to affirm and confirm that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah that they were expecting. He was not now speaking on the basis of, I think, oh, what my mother said was this, and this was what happened. No, he now had the, the confirmation himself as God had directed him. God had told him, go and be baptizing people. Make them to prepare the way for the Lord to come. However, in the course of your baptizing people, a man is going to come to your baptism. When you baptize this fellow and you find the Spirit of God coming upon this man, whoever that person is, that is the Christ. So even though John knew the Lord Jesus Christ to be the, to, to, to be the Messiah through what his mother had said and what maybe or a few other people may have said, his confirmation was when the Spirit of God came upon him. And you know that with all of this confirmation, when John was locked up in prison, he still sent his disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ, saying to, to, to him, are you the one or are we to expect another? And the Lord told them to go and tell him, the blind see, the lame walk, the, 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 the poor have the gospel preached to them. Uh, uh, blessed is he that is not offended in me. This was done with all the confirmation. Now imagine that that confirmation was not there. Many of us have received confirmation how many times from God, yet we still doubt. But it is when we go back and say, but indeed God told me this and this is the confirmation, that is how we still maintain our conviction. So you can imagine what it would have meant if they did not fulfill that righteous act and John did not see the Holy Spirit descending on him. He would have said, actually come to think of it, the one who sent me to baptize said, somebody will come upon whom the Holy Spirit will descend. I, I didn't see that person. It cannot be him. So it had to be an, a, an airtight alibi, as it were. And that is what is meant by fulfilling all righteousness. Because it is so important that somebody needs to be identified. Do you know that when God is asking you to do certain things, that he's not asking you to do it because of you alone? No! There are many people involved in that task. It is possible that what God is asking you to do will become an affirmation or confirmation to somebody concerning some things that God may have told that person. But you are not aware of it. For example, Paul, a Saul of Tarsus, after he encountered with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says for three days he did not eat. He was praying and the Lord appeared to him in a vision and said, I am sending Ananias, one Ananias to you to come and pray for you so that your eyes will be open. Paul had that, Saul had that information. Then the Lord went to Ananias and said to Ananias, go to the street called street, go to into this house. You will see a, a, a man, I think the house of Simon the Tanner or something, I can't remember the, the, the details now. But you see a man there, Paul, a Saul of Tarsus. He is praying. And I said, is that not the Saul who came here to arrest Christians? Ah, I can't go. God said to him, go. Don't worry. He is a chosen vessel unto me. And besides, I have already shown him that you, Ananias, you are coming to open his eyes. It would not have worked if Peter had gone there. The Lord has a purpose for sending you to a place. 
It will not work any other way. So these are the tests that the Lord went through. These are the tests that many of us must go through. Simple, simple tests. Tests that truly show our heart whether we are, whether our heart is towards God or towards ourselves. Whether our heart is towards meeting the requirements of God or fulfilling our own personal selfish needs. I, I, I remember once, we, I, I had a night vigil some 10 years ago now, and in that vigil, people were expecting us to come and pray for our needs and other things. But I asked the Lord that evening, I said, Lord, what are we supposed to be doing at this um, uh, vigil? And the Lord said, oh, I want you I want you and the people gathered to pray for my needs. I said, Lord, you have needs? He said, yes. I, I, I have needs for souls to be saved. So I came and told the people that, well, tonight we are not praying for anything of our own needs. We are going to pray for the needs of God. Everybody looked at me strangely. Indeed, that night, the prayer that we prayed was so low, you could, you could, you could hear the noise outside. But had we gathered to pray for our needs, oh, the roof will go off. But this is the case that we have today. We are unable to meet the needs, the demands that God makes on us. But we are quick to meet the demands that man makes on us. When a man lies to us that if we empty our bank accounts, God will increase our, 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 our bank accounts a hundredfold. We are quick to empty it. But if God were to tell you to take all that is in your bank account and go and give to the poor like the, like the young rich ruler, you'll be sad. Because at the end of that statement, God did not tell you if you will have anything afterwards. So the question is, why are you serving God? Because you want an increase? All those people who are giving money to pastors because of the promise of a hundredfold return, you have jumped empty ground, according to how my wife sees it. You have jumped empty ground. Nothing is going to happen. You will give that money, even if it increases, it doesn't mean anything to God. Do you know that the money you own does not mean anything to God? Maybe you don't understand that. It doesn't mean anything to God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ said it clearly. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet he loses his soul? So I'm asking you, are you fulfilling all righteousness? Are you doing the will of God? Do you realize that every action that you take is affecting several millions? Look at what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He was coming to die for the whole world. Imagine if he had failed, we would still be in sin. We'll still be groveling in sin, still be in the camp of the enemy, still be, 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 be something in the sand. Many of us will not leave our place of work to take a lower paying job or to resign completely and just go and serve God and to depend on God. Meanwhile, there are millions waiting for us to come out there so that they can hear the word of God. But no, we will not. We can't afford to drop as it were. We say we, we can't afford to lower the standard. What standard? Make yourself of no reputation, brother. Make yourself of no reputation, sister. There is no standard to keep. It is God who keeps the standard. And the standard of God is righteousness. Let me close. These were but tests that the Lord Jesus Christ had to pass. And thank God, he passed every one of them. Because through the passing of the test, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Through the passing of the test, the approval of the Father came upon him, said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This was the introduction to the pre-engagement examination. In, indeed, even though he passed all these things, he was nonetheless spared. They didn't spare him from the scrutiny of Satan, from the investigation, from the inquisition of Satan, 
from the examination. When, when we talk of examination, Satan will turn everything that he needs to turn. He, from the probing and the proving by the grace of God. When next we meet, when next we broadcast, we'll be looking at this in some detail. I want to challenge you that everything that God is asking you to do, do it. Whatever you are going through now is a test. The Lord is just testing you. The Lord wants to see whether you would obey him or not. And when he is sure that, yes, this fellow, is, this fellow has developed the habit, the nature of obedience to me, you'll be ready like the Lord to face your pre-engagement examination. My prayer for you is that you will not fail. Not just the pre-engagement examination, but the test that the Almighty is bringing your way. And at the end of everything, you will have cause to rejoice in God when you are in eternity in heaven with him. You will look back and you will say, glory be to God. I did not shy from obeying God. Until the next time we meet, God bless you and goodbye.